Hello, everybody. I'm Mickey Thomas, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. We built this city. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself. I can't afford to be. This is small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away. A song away. A song away. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And joining me in the Zoom room to promote the release of his two-sided holiday single, A Classic Christmas, please welcome singer Mickey Thomas. Mickey, hello. Hello. How are you, Pat? I am great. I am so excited to talk to you today because I've been trying for years to get you on the show, and I'm so happy that you're finally here in front of me. Oh, great. Well, I'm happy to be here. My first question is, you've been making music for five decades. What took you so long to record some Christmas music? That's a good question, because I wanted to do it for a long time. Uh, I guess it was just a uh, you know, a question of being able to get all the elements to come together at the right time and uh, uh, pull it off and get it done. And it helped my, my manager really helped a lot uh, to put it together for me. He's good friends with uh, Danny Frizzell, who uh, produced it in Nashville and put all the musicians together for us. So uh, they made it easy for me. All I had to do was pick the songs I wanted to do and just show up and sing and enjoy the session. And did you fly, did you fly down to Nashville? You recorded it in Nashville? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. All right. Cause you know, since COVID sometimes people record their vocal here, send it there, but you're saying this was all recorded together. Yes, it was. Uh, I really wanted to do it that way. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, quite often this day and age, uh, not only do we not have to be in the same room together, we don't have to be in the same country together to record together sometimes. But but in this situation, I felt it was kind of important to be in the room together, you know, creating the music together, looking at each other in the eye and uh, reading each other and tweaking arrangements as we were doing it. And um, so it was really a fun process. The guys were great session musicians and and not only great players, but they were all really funny too. So we had a blast doing it. But I really wanted that old school kind of session. You know, the vocals are pretty much live as we did, as we were cutting the, the tracks. And, you know, I wanted it to be the way, you know, uh, Frank and Tony and Jack Jones or Andy Williams would do it. You know? Well, you pull, you you pulled it off because these two tracks are excellent. I I never know what I'm going to get when one of my uh, legacy artists records some Christmas music, but I can honestly say that you hit it out of the park with these two singles. Uh, the first one is "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." Now, do you have a favorite version of that song other than oh, your yeah. own? <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, it was the uh, the original version, Judy Garland. Uh, is the one that uh, that I and I tried to get I tried to create more of the atmosphere of that version than a lot of the other renditions of that song because it's sort of uh, a melancholy moment. It's from the movies uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, yes. which is an old film from the 30s. And so the song was written for that movie and for Judy. And she's kind of 
you know, standing in the windowsill, looking out through the window with her little sister, um, you know, looking with, you know, standing there with her and looking out there, looking out the window together. And it's kind of a moment of where they know the families are going to be separated for Christmas. So she's trying to make her little sister feel a little better about that and say, yeah, I know, you know, but someday soon we'll all be together again and everything will be great. And so it's sort of melancholy, but it's also very hopeful at the same time. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year, all our troubles will be mine. And Mickey, when you go into a project like this, other than your distinctive voice, do you have a plan for how you're going to put your own stamp on this? Do you want to do it the traditional way, which I find that you did? Or were people saying, you got to make it your own, you got to make it modern? What was your take going into it? Yeah. Well, I definitely didn't want to make it modern. I wanted it to be traditional, classic sounding Christmas. And, um, I, you know, because I'm kind of that kind of singer anyway. A, a part of me is, you know, I, I've, I've always wanted to do, I mean, I walk around the house all the time singing the songs that I heard my mom and dad sing when I was a little kid, you know, uh, songs from that era, from the 50s and stuff. And so I wanted to make it like that. I definitely didn't want it to, I didn't want to rock it up, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of like, uh, you know, rock and roll Christmas songs, you know, run, run, Rudolph. I don't really, I mean, it's okay, but it's just not my cup of tea. So I really wanted to just make it very intimate and classic. And as I said, I, I'm kind of a crooner at heart anyway. So I felt that I could pull it off and make it a traditional classic Christmas, but without compromising my voice or what I do and that it would feel natural for me singing it that way. And um, I think, uh, I think it worked. It worked. It worked. Uh, I'm like you. I love the traditional albums. I love Nat King Cole's Christmas album and I love King Crosby. Uh, That's the stuff that takes me back to my childhood and what my parents also listened to. Exactly. Uh, I wanted to capture that because, you know, those songs that do take us back to our childhood, uh, to a happier time, you know, warm moments and happy moments when we were younger, when we were kids and and how magical Christmas was for us back then. It can take us back to that moment. It's kind of like I I think that Christmas songs like that can sort of short circuit a lot of the bad vibes that, you know, go to our brain and make us feel bad and, you know, put up a roadblock and say, no, none of that. We're just going to have the warm, nostalgic feelings here. Well, Christmas music, it should make you feel happy. If it's making you feel sad, I I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, um, I want to let people know a classic Christmas will be available on all digital platforms December 1st. And before I forget, let me tell you where we can find all things about Mickey Thomas. Website is starshipcontrol.com. Twitter is at Starship Control or at Mickey underscore Thomas. And on Instagram, at Starship underscore Control. Now, the second song of the two yeah. is 
It's the most wonderful time of the year. And I believe that's an Andy Williams one is the one I remember. Oh, yeah. Andy Williams had the definitive version of that song. So I think I, you know, I wanted to be kind of true to the Andy Williams arrangement and the, the spirit and the vibe of that song. Um, we don't have all the uh, the background singers and dancers that Andy had <laughs> in his version. But um, I wanted to just capture that vibe. <laughs> and again, this is sort of like, you know, the flip side. I wanted to balance, as I mentioned, the sort of melancholy nature of having yourself with something that would be more uh, up, uplifting and um it's something you know it's kind of like every christmas cliche that you could think of is sort of in that song yes uh, all the really great wonderful things about christmas that we associate with it it's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good Wonderful time of the year It's the hap happiest season of all With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings When friends come to call It's the hap happiest season of all And Mickey, what part of the country do you live in currently? Right now, I live in Rancho Mirage, California, right next door to Palm Springs. Now, it's not very Christmassy there in the, in the winter. It's it's still pretty warm. You're not getting any snow there. No, we won't. It's still uh, it's not very Christmassy in general, but you know, we try to make the most of it Christmas in the desert. And as I mentioned, we make our home look very very Christmassy in the uh, traditional sense. Uh, my wife's a great decorator. And uh, so our home, if you walked into our home, you wouldn't know you were in the desert. You might think you were in Connecticut or something. You know? Yeah, just turn the air conditioner way up and no one will yeah. know. <laughs> right. I guess my next question is, these two songs are so good. And look, I'm not just saying that, folks. You know me. If I didn't think they were good, I would skirt around the issue. I wouldn't tell Mickey they were good. But these songs are fantastic. It makes me want to know if there will be a full-length Christmas album down the road. Well, yes, that is the plan. Um, you know, we thought we would test the waters uh, with these two songs, and if we get a good reaction and if uh, people want more, then the plan is to, um, over the course of next year, we'll put together a whole album of, um, of Christmas songs, pretty much, I think, in the same vein as what I've done here. And then by Christmas 2024, We'd have the whole album ready and ready to go and put it out and possibly do some kind of a Christmas tour at that point in time with, uh, you know, all the Christmas songs. And, of course, throw in uh, Starship, Jefferson Starship uh, and other things in it as well. Well, again, I've heard some of your contemporaries try their hand at this and they are not doing it as well as you did it with these two songs. I'm just I was just blown away because I. I really didn't know what to expect and uh, so pleased. And these are definitely in my Christmas playlist rotation for 2023 and onward. Five decades making music. Lots of rockers are releasing autobiographies. Have you started to write your autobiography yet, Mickey? 
I have not started to write it. Um, we have uh, started uh, shooting a documentary about my career. Okay. Um, we've, we've, yeah, we filmed some stuff. It's kind of on hiatus right now. Well, we did some other things, cleared up and out of the way. But we are doing that. And that, when I started doing that, that kind of um, inspired me to at least think about doing some writing about my life, and my career, and do something autobiographical if I could just focus long enough to sit down and start doing it you know i get i get kind of scattered i get a lot of things going on at once and uh um i just need to uh to focus and take the time to do it because usually if i'm laying awake at night with insomnia you know i'm starting yeah. to write it and i you get all the good ideas in but then you wake up the next morning you're like well, what was i thinking wait a minute i had it all together and now it's gone again you know you got to start talking into your phone at night yeah that's it <laughs> fooled around and fell in love. I'm one of the many, many, many people that did not know you were the singer on that song. I didn't know it for many, many years. And when yeah. I found that out, I was kind of blown away because the song is credited to Elvin Bishop, but you were the singer for his band. What was it like for you to know that this song was given new life on the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack? I mean, kids know this song now, you know, yeah. little kids, teenagers, they all know the song now. Yeah, the song, you know, it had appeared in many, many movies over yeah. the years, but that was the one that truly did introduce it to a new uh, younger audience, a new generation of listeners. I remember uh, uh, my son who, He's 27 now, but when that first came out, I guess he was about 18 or 19 or something. And he going to the movies with, you know, with friends, all his friends of his age, and it came on, you know, in the movie. And he goes, That's my dad. And they were like, What? Really? <laughs> so it made some points for him. But you're right, it, it reached a new audience. And um, it, it also came at a really um, a, a nice little moment in the film where it happens to, you know, yeah. the romantic uh, first kiss. And so, yeah, that was great. You know, it kind of was quite a change of pace for a lot of the movies that the song had appeared in over the years, like Boogie Nights and uh, <laughs> Summer yeah. of Sam and yeah. The Devil's Rejects. <laughs> yeah, this is this is much better to be included in Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, a family film. It was in a good Christmas movie, too. Uh, family Stone. Was that the one that was, I don't know if you ever saw that one, but that was a really good Christmas movie. And it appears in that film too, at a really dynamic moment in the movie with um, uh, Dane and, um, oh God, the actor, he's great, uh, Dermot Mulroney. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's, they're kind of falling in love and dancing and their first kiss and it's coming out of the jukebox in the bar while they're dancing. Very nice. That's a good Christmas movie, by the way, if you haven't checked right. it out. All right. Well, we're, we're talking a little bit about Christmas, so we're definitely checking yeah. that one out. 
when this song or any of your songs are going to be on a soundtrack, do you know that in advance? Do you know how it might be used in the film or are you just as surprised as everyone else? Uh, I, I usually uh, am surprised as everyone else this day and age because uh, sometimes I don't really hear about it until uh, <laughs> until it happens. You know, back in the you know back in the eighties when we were like recording songs specifically for movies, of course, you know we knew about it in advance, obviously, and we were you know more involved in that process. But uh, but now you know sometimes like we built this city or nothing's going to stop us or fooled around. We'll just pop up in a movie or a TV commercial or something. And <laughs> excuse me, because uh, for for those two, um, even though they were kind of my biggest hits, or those three, I didn't write any of them. Yeah. So it's usually the writers who have to give clearance for something sure. to, to appear in a movie or a commercial or TV show or something. But because you sing those songs, I'm hoping a little mailbox money comes your way. Yeah, a little bit filters in every now and then. And plus, it just gives anything that gives those songs more exposure uh, helps me a lot as far as my live performance and stuff. Too, Absolutely. You know, that, that's, that's that always sure. helps. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to 1979, Jefferson Starship, Freedom at Point Zero. This kind yeah. of changes your life. Yeah, it took me in a different direction than yeah. what I was planning at that point in time. You know, it. Uh, uh, I, I just left the Elvin Bishop band and, and I was making plans to go to Miami and record a solo album with a great producer, Bill Simzik, who produced Fools Around and Fell in Love and as well as so many other classic albums from the 70s. So we were just we were gathering songs and making plans to do that and getting ready to go to Miami. And then I got the call from Jefferson Starship saying, hey, we need a singer. Would you be interested? And I was not expecting that at all. That was a true bolt from the blue. And not only do they need a singer, Mickey, you're replacing two singers. Yeah. You're replacing Grace Marty, Ballin, Marty yeah. Ballin and Grace Slick. Yeah. Was there any trepidation on your part that you're going to be the new face and voice of this established band? Yeah, there was. Uh, there was a lot of trepidation because I, I knew that... Uh, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, uh, you know, people are going to be like, where's Grace? Where's right. Marty? Who's this guy? We don't know him. Um, so I was I knew there was going to be a lot of that. And I, I did prepare myself mentally for that. But the band made it easier to in the sense that uh, at that point in time, the whole situation was Ainsley Dunbar had just come into the band. Yes. So there was a new drummer as well as a new singer. Um, there was a total change of musical direction from, you know, Count on Me and Miracles to coming yep. out of the box with a song like Jane uh, really set the tone for the new Jefferson Starship. So um, so there were and, that, and hence that's how we came up with the whole title of the album, you know, Freedom at Point Zero. Like we're back at point zero. We're starting all over again. We're redefining things. And. Let's hope that we'll be accepted on our own terms rather than being compared to the last um, incarnation of the band. So that helped a little bit.
And then in 1982, Grace decided to rejoin the band, and that helped out as well. Yeah, when uh, I went back and watched the, some of the videos uh, from that era on YouTube, and the band just, they you guys look great. You are just hard rocking. I love Ainsley Dunbar. You know, he's coming off yeah. his gig in Journey. And you guys, like you said, Jane is just a monster hit. I can't think of a better way to introduce the new guys than with Jane. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. You know, because as I mentioned, when I first went to meet the band and we're in Paul Kettner's living room and, and they started kind of playing me some ideas, you know, and oh, this is kind of where we want to go with this. And, you know, we're really looking to to change our musical direction and we want to come out with a much harder sound, harder edge. And we started jamming on Jane. And that was when you just knew right away, you know, you could sense inherently that this is cool. This is something really fresh. Yeah. And uh, this could be this could this this could be something. And that was the first song we jammed on. It was the first song we recorded. It was obviously the first single from Freedom at Point Zero, and it debuted at number one on the Hot Album tracks. So, and it it doesn't hurt to have Ron Nevison producing either. Not at all. Ron Nevison, brilliant producer. I was just reading something yesterday about Nevison. I was reading uh, something popped up on my Apple News about uh, the formation of Bad Company and when they were first starting out. And you know, their first album, they didn't really have a producer. They just started jamming and playing and singing uh but they had ron nevison as an engineer yeah that helps yeah so you're telling me i just want to be clear you got the call there was no audition process you just got the call to be in the band yeah there wasn't like a formal audition mm -hmm. uh it was just hey come and hang out and you know I, li I was living right across the bridge i was living in mill valley california and okay Paul was in san francisco and so i just drove over to paul's house and Met the guys, you know, uh, Craig, Pete, David, Ainsley, who was a new guy just like me, and just started talking and jamming and singing. And the next thing I know, we're in the studio recording Freedom at Point Zero with Ron Nevison. Amazing. So, yeah. but you you also owed an album. And is that the album Alive and Alone? You had to do yeah. that between. Did that slow down any Jefferson Starship momentum? No, uh, we just did it right in between um, Freedom at Point Zero and Modern Times. All right. So there was a, you know, there was enough break in the action. Where I went to Miami for a couple of months, and we, you know, we knocked that out probably from when we started cutting the tracks till we mixed it was only about two months. Well, I love that. I love that album too, and I, I, I really dig the song. She's got you running. Nice stuff. I, I just popped up uh, 
uh, the other day. It was something I was listening to out of nowhere. <laughs> I hadn't heard it in a long time. I just saw, you know, Don Felder plays guitar on all the tracks on that on that uh, album. And I just ran into Felder a couple of weeks ago, too, at a, actually at a Raiders football game. And we started uh, talking about old times and making a live alone and reliving some of the great memories we had from that time. And was Don on the album because Bill was producing? Yes. Bill Simsley put the band together. Obviously, he was at that point in time working with the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they just finished the, the long run. So he got Felder, uh, Joe Vitale on drums, who was from the Joe Walsh band at that point in time, and uh, Chocolate Perry, George Chocolate Perry, a great uh, session bassist in the Miami area who played on any records that were made in Miami. Chocolate was usually playing, playing bass on them. And um yeah, put together the studio band and recorded it all at Bill's studio there in the Coconut Grove. And it was a blast, man. Great times. Very nice. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. So, modern times, Nevison is back. Was Grace slick? Because she's really only on Stranger. She sings lead on Stranger, co-lead with you on Stranger. Yeah. Was that just going to be a guest spot for Grace? Or was the plan to try to coerce her to come back? Oh, no, we weren't trying to coerce, to, uh, coerce her. Mm-hmm. But during the process of recording Modern Times, we were kind of at the tail end of the album. And Stranger was one of the last things that we cut. But Grace had been kind of coming around, hanging out in the studio while we were making that album and just... So just kind of having fun and checking things out. And she made the comment about, she said, God, you guys are having so much more fun in the band now than it was like when I left. Cause you know, when <laughs> she left, it was like everything was crashing and burning and, you know, it was a soap opera and there were relationships and turn relationships in the band and people fighting over uh, each other, fighting with each other. And uh, so it was kind of a mess when she had left the band. So to come back and see us functioning the way we were, yeah, in such a more of a, a happy and creative way. She was very impressed by that. And so she, they invited her, said, well, you know, we're cutting Stranger. This could be a duet. You want to jump in and sing it with Mickey? So she said, yeah. So obviously that was the first thing that we recorded together in the studio.
so after that, she said, you know, this is really fun. Do you think, could you guys use a background vocalist, a female background <laughs> vocalist? And we said, well, let us think about that. <laughs> so, so, of course, we said, yes. And had you ever met Grace before? I met, I met her briefly when I was I first met the band when I was at Cantner's uh, house and we were rehearsing in the living room. And uh, she came over and she was kind of hanging out in the kitchen, sort of peeking around the corner and checking it out to see what it sounded like. And then uh, we broke, we had a break in rehearsal and went up to the kitchen to get a drink or something. And she was there in the kitchen and she said, you know, hey, uh, you sing pretty good. I said, well, thank you, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and typical, you know, Grace Slick form, you know, she said, uh, uh, do you make love pretty good too? Oh boy! Except she didn't say make love. She used <laughs> sure, I know what she said. And, and I and I was kind of taken aback, you know. And I said, "Well, uh, uh, not as good as I sing." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah. Now, I just I just want to talk about Stranger for a second. The two of you singing together is just magic. I was listening to it the other day. I had it cranked up. My wife came in the room. She could barely tell where you end and Grace began yeah. because you it's just it's just perfect. I mean, and I want to say that you and Grace for me are underrated in my book as vocalists. I don't think people talk about Grace Slick and Mickey Thomas enough. I just don't. Yeah. And you guys are phenomenal. Yeah, there was a real, uh, the way our voices blended together, there was a real magic there. And, you know, you never know how it's, how that's going to go when you try to sing with somebody. But it just uh, it just worked for some reason. Like you said, sometimes it was like it would mesh into one, one voice. Yeah. And I believe that just in general, Grace is a very underrated singer. Yeah. And she was always very self-deprecating as well. She always put herself down and didn't really think that she was a good singer. You know, she was always said, well, I got attitude, but I'm not really a great singer. I said, no, you are. You're a great singer. Yeah. You know, you need to you need to own that. Right. And, um, so I think she's underrated as a vocalist as well. And, uh, you know, we did some I mean, I'm so proud of the stuff that we were able to create together all through the 80s. And we had a really good working relationship as well. We got along great. Um, you know, we had, because, you know, <laughs> when you're on tour, we're on these, you know, eight hour bus rides. And, yeah. you know, you have a lot of time to just kind of sit there and have conversation with somebody and really get to know them. And so that was a great time that we shared together. And, uh, uh, you know, I, people always say, like, are you, are you, are you going to ever do anything together again? And I go, well, I'm game. And she is, but I don't think she's too motivated to do anything musically now, just involved in her painting. Yeah, I think she's just chilling out. Classic yeah. Rock Radio also needs to get behind Jefferson Starship and Starship more because find your way back. Phenomenal. Yeah. Do it! 
And Stranger, that baseline, the two guitars and the vocals. I mean, we should be hearing this out of our radios every single day on classic rock radio. We just should. Yeah, um, Stranger would be a Stranger's a good call. That was that definitely would kind of fits the classic rock mold sure perfectly. Does. The whole structure of it. 1982, Winds of Change. Kevin Beamish produces. Was Ron not available, or did you guys just want to try someone different? Ron was not available, and um, we were kind of under the gun to get the album made. You know, pressure from the label and stuff. So, so we started looking for other producers, and sure enough, Kevin came along. He was fresh off of, uh, you know, the um, uh, High Infidelity, the uh, REO. Yeah, album which was a smash. So, um, so yeah, so it seemed like a good fit. So we got in the studio and we did that one album with Kevin, and it was a good experience. We didn't really, you know, I don't think we had any real hits off of it or uh, nothing that became a real staple of rock radio or anything. So, no. uh, but it was a fun experience, and he was great to work with. I love the title track, and again, you and Grace sing your asses off on that. And out of control is a crazy video that you guys did. Yeah. So, uh, and you know what? This is a weird thing to say, but Winds of Change might be my favorite Jefferson Starship album of the four that you did. It's just I don't know. Maybe because it wasn't played as much, and when I discovered yeah. it, I felt like it was mine. Like I owned this one. I found this one. So it's great. Yeah. You know, it was it was interesting. It was kind of a. Uh, it was sort of a surprise to us because that was the first full album we did when Grace had returned, right? Uh, you know, as a as a as a full time member of the band again. So we had some pretty high expectations for that album, um, the return of Grace Slick, and right. you know, coming off of Jane and finding your way back. And so, but I don't know why. You know, you just never know. Sometimes in this business, you know, what's going to work, what's not going to work. There's so many elements that go into it. Timing, chemistry, where's the label at this point in time? Where's radio? Where's, you know, there's always a lot of luck involved in everything yeah, yeah. you do. There's a lot of components yeah. that go into getting a song yeah. on the radio and making it a hit. I'm sure some of the greatest songs we've never heard are out there. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah.
thank goodness for deep tracks, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, to this day, I'm an album guy. I like to buy the album and listen start to finish. That's how you find. Yeah. That's how you find the the nuggets. Um, oh yeah. 1984, Nuclear Furniture, Nevison Returns, and again, two, yeah. two big songs, Laying It on the Line and No Way Out. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, No Way Out was a really a, a good, uh, a very commercial hit for us, which was, uh, you know, something that we really needed at that point in time. And that was a real good one. It's also probably the craziest video we ever did, I think. was yeah. No Way Out. Yes. <laughs> it was pretty nuts. We had to make it up on the spot. You know, we kind of, we had hired this director and he was a pretty kooky guy. And he, uh, you know, he showed up the day we're supposed to start kind of shooting the video. And we got like, well, what you got? He goes, uh, well, I don't really have anything. I said, well, do you have storyboards or concept or anything? <laughs> no, we're just going to go over here to the, uh, you know, to the airplane house where we had all of our offices were set up and stuff. And we'll just start shooting. So that's pretty much what we did. I called some people, some friends. I said, uh, I called my friend Don Novello, Father Guido Sarducci. Yeah. I said, hey, we're shooting a video. Can you come down and help us out with this? We'll, <laughs> we'll find something for you to do. And um, and then, yeah, and then Grace dressed up as the, the nun with the helmet on. And uh, it was almost like a Fellini movie, you know, that, that video. But it was that's one of my favorite videos we ever did. Yeah. And these things live on YouTube for better or worse. If there's one that you're yeah. embarrassed by, it's going to be there too. And if there's oh, one you love, well, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Uh, so a year later, knee deep in the hoopla, you and Grace and Craig and Pete, you guys are staying together, but there's a new name. Explain the name change for people who might not know why it became Starship. You know, we had kind of been toying with the idea for a couple of years of shortening the name to Starship, because generally speaking, everybody at that point in time always referred to the band as Starship anyway. Okay. People in radio or fans or they very rarely would they say Jeff is a Starship. They say Starship, the new Starship album or the Starship tour or this or that. And so we've been thinking about it. And then when Paul Cantner left the band under not the greatest of circumstances, mm -hmm. um, it was kind of like, from Paul's point of view, it was like, uh, I'm leaving the band, but uh, I'm going to take my ball and go home. So you can't play either okay. <laughs> or you can't use the name either. So we got, so then he, you know, he had some claims that he owned the name Jefferson Starship. And we said, well, anyway, we thought the easiest way to uh, resolve this is, okay, we'll just officially shorten the name to Starship and we'll retire the name Jefferson Starship forever. So that was what we did at that point in time. Um, so no one was ever supposed to be Jefferson Starship again. 
until about 1992 when Paul got the urge to go back out on the road again and decided he wanted to unretire the name Jefferson right. Starship. Right. So it reappeared then. But as Starship, you were still allowed to perform live the songs you recorded with Jefferson Starship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Knee Deep in the Hoopla, two number one singles. We Built This City and Sarah. Let's talk about yeah. we built this city. It's no, uh, what do I want to say? How can I say it nicely? <laughs> this is an often maligned song, Mickey. I don't know. Oh, why, I don't know why people use this song as a punchline because I find it to be joyous, and it takes me right back to 1985. Whenever I hear it, I love it. We built this city. I think I think it was very uh, um, it became sort of the poster child for a lot of things that people didn't like about what was going on in music in the mid 80s. Yeah. With a lot of, uh, you know, the way we were exploring new recording uh, concepts and and machines and samples and sequences and all the new things we could do in the studio. And uh, so it was the, the way we made music was changing drastically moving from the analog age into the digital age. So so we were like we were like all into that. We said, yeah, this is great. We're in. You know, let's because we you know like I said, we were Starship. We had set out with the intention of completely redefining the band at that point in time with Knee Deep in the Hoopla album, stylistically, yeah. musically, everything. So well, it, you know, obviously it worked because we built this city became a gigantic hit for us. Yeah. But I think and really, the, at that point in time, there wasn't that much backlash originally. It sort of started to uh, steamroll or snowball around the time in the late 90s when Blender Magazine did this list of the worst songs ever. Oh, God. And Which was 
I mean, I, I never really understood that anyway, because why do you, why would you even want to make a list of what you deem to be the worst of anything? But so they, of, of course, they put, we built this city as number one on the list. And I thought, what? And our manager at the time had an interesting comment. You know, he said, well, if you're going to be on a list, be number one. <laughs> okay, well, all right. So, so right. then a lot of other uh, media picked up on that. And then yeah. next thing you know, everybody's making their worst of list, worst guitar solos ever recorded, all this kind of stuff. So that kind of a uh, snowball. And then, um, you know, people picked up on it. But and then going back to, as I mentioned, I think it just became, like I said, so symbolic of what was happening in music, rock music in the 80s that turned a lot of people off. And then for a band like uh, Starship, the stakes were even higher for us yeah. because we were coming out of the Jefferson Starship, which came out of the Jefferson Airplane, right. which was so symbolic of the uh, countercultural revolutionary days of the 60s and how music was um, such a big part of, uh, of the counterculture. So the, so the stakes were higher. So I think that we were perceived to be more of a sellout because of that than a lot of other bands who were maybe taking some of the same musical direction as we were in the eighties. Yeah. All the bands worked with drum machines and outside writers yeah. and, and it was time to be successful. It was time to make money. You guys yeah. put in a lot of time. So why shouldn't you, you know, reap the rewards. And as far as Jefferson airplane, Jefferson starship and starship, this group of people, musicians collectively, made their stamp in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. So I just think it's yeah. a win-win-win all the way around. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I mean, obviously, I'm proud of the song. Um, sure. All I can tell you is today, when we perform the song live, it's it's the most popular song that we do in the live show. It's the one that gets people immediately they rise they stand up they get out of their seats yeah. as soon as we play that song and i and i've never seen one face in the audience go oh no not that song again right yeah <laughs> um, you and, you yeah. can't not play it if you didn't no, play people it people would be angry and you know going back to the inception too of the song uh when i brought it into the studio because <clears throat> to me what i loved about the song was the lyric and the verse you know, the great Bernie Taupin who wrote the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, that's what intrigued me about it. That the song, you know, there's a very darker element to that song if you really dissect the words and, you know, what's what's being said there uh, and what it's truly about. Um, if, but 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 when we developed that, the chorus was written in the studio after I brought the song in, after I brought the demo in. We, we created that chorus in the studio, which is what made the song a hit but it also obscured the other parts of the song, you know, that I, people, people never get past the, we built this city, right. we built, you know, into maybe you want to, might want to delve into like, uh, you know, say you don't know me, recognize my face, say you don't care who goes to that kind of place, too right. many runaways eating up the night, you know, um, and, you know, that, that was a part of the song that really intrigued me, that dark underbelly which kind of gets lost now. Yeah, if someone picked up a, an acoustic guitar and sang this in a coffee house, people would go like, man, that's deep. You know what I mean? Hey, have you but, ever you heard know, Dippy Clyro's version? 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Say that again. Have you heard, have you heard Biffy Clyro's version? I have not. The city, check that out because they will. do an acoustic. They do an acoustic version of it, which is killer. my face Say you don't care who goes to that kind of place Knee deep in the hoopla Sinking in your fight Too many runaways Eating up the night Marconi Again, this we built this city starts a string of you guys have three number one hits. We built this city, Sarah, and then in '87, uh, a song that appeared on No Protection. Nothing's gonna stop us now, and I just yeah. love that song. I love, I love when Grace comes in the solo part. It's just like yeah. you, it's going up, and then Grace comes in and it takes it up again. It's just so great. Looking in your eyes, I see a paradise This world that I found is too good to be true Standing here beside you, want so much to give you This love in my heart that I'm feeling for you Let them see we're crazy, I don't care about that Put your hand Yeah, that was our 18-month period there of uh, three number one songs in 18, a span of 18 months was, uh, it's just silly when I think about it. But yeah, nothing's going to stop us. Uh, so, you know, we got offered the song to do for the movie. And I thought, well, this is kind of cool because it's, it's a bit of a musical departure for Starship. You know, it's got some kind of R&B elements going on in there. It's a good groove thing. And I said, but the but the perfect guy to produce this has got to be Narda Michael Walden, because he was living in the Bay Area and he was coming off of Whitney Houston and Aretha Franklin, and yeah, and uh, and it's, it kind of surprised me really when he said, yeah, I'll do it. We sent him the song and he goes, I'm in, I'll do it. So when we first started cutting it, Grace was singing the first part of the verse because typically on Starship songs, I would usually quite often I take the higher stuff, you know. Yeah. So. So she would sing in the first part, and then I would come in with a, let him say we're crazy. Yeah. But we thought, hmm, Nardic, he was brilliant. He said, let's flip that. Nice. He says, you start the low part, and then we'll have Grace come in for the higher part. And bingo, that's what that's what made it. You know, that's what, it all came together then. 
And when I hear that, that's that's what I would tell Grace Slick. I'd say, if you don't think you're a good singer, Grace, <laughs> listen right. to this. That's Check fantastic. This out. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Let me ask you about Craig, and I apologize. I've never known how to pronounce Craig's last name. Chiquiso. Chiquiso. See, I, I see it written, and I'm... I'm going to mess it up. So he, he he described it to me when I first met him. as like Chuck E. So. Chuck right. E. So. I said, okay, I got it. So this long-haired, mustache-wearing guitar player on Freedom at Point Zero, he's all in on this, uh, on this pop wave with you guys. He sticks around the whole time. Yeah. So he yeah. was all in. He was just like, he was game. He was up for it. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, everybody was on board. You know, sometimes with revisionist history, the way uh, 25, 30 years after the fact, people kind of have a different recollection about what was going on in the moment. And so it kind of tickles me sometimes because Grace Slick is not always uh, the most, has the most positive uh, remembrances of we built this city either. I've heard yeah. her say some disparaging things about sure. it. Like uh and I'm and I always tell people like, okay, you know who Grace Slick is. You're familiar with Grace Slick's personality. Right. Right. Do you think she'd ever sing a song that she didn't like? <laughs> right. No, I don't think so. No, you're yeah, not gonna so she was everybody was on board, right? But, yeah, you're not gonna but, make you know, her do it. Yeah. No. And the the other song in No Protection that I just can't get enough of is it's not over till it's over. Such a positive yeah. anthem, such just like I can play that on a loop. I just love it. Now listen, we don't call the shots here. Yeah, great, great guitar work on that one, you know, uh, good, good background vocals. Uh, and you're right, you know, real positive, anthemic, you know, we're still standing. This yeah. is not over. Yep. Raise your fist. Yeah. In 1989, uh, Grace is no longer with the band, but you're still flying the flag high with yeah. love, love Among the Cannibals. I believe in 89, we also get a Jefferson Airplane album. Yeah. So now we got Starship and Jefferson Airplane back, all yeah. vying for time on the radio. But you guys got it with uh, It's Not Enough. Great tune. 
Great song, uh, you know, written by uh, again Martin Page and Tommy Funderburk. Martin Page, one of my favorite writers, and he was almost like a member of the band. We did, we worked so much with Martin with his songs, and he'd come in and sing background vocals with us quite often. So uh, yeah, it's a Martin Page song, Tommy Funderburk, uh, produced by Mike Shipley, who yep. was the engineer for Def Leppard, and Mike engineered most of the. Uh, stuff that Mutt Lang was producing during that point in time. So I will tell you that uh, that Mutt Lang's influence is all over it. You know, he was he was in the studio with us and hanging out a lot and helping to, uh, you know, come up with that, that atmospheric sound yeah. that we had on a lot of the songs on that album, uh, especially on the other one, with a song that Mutt wrote called I Didn't Mean to Say All Night. Uh, he has his hands are all over that one. So, yeah. Good track. That's a good one, too. And yeah. Wild Again is also on that album. Yeah. ask you this during this period a lot of singers were leaving bands were you ever asked by any bands to join their band like did journey ever call up and say steve's leaving do you want to be in journey i'm just curious because why not reach out to a mickey thomas uh not at that point in time or uh, a little bit before that when we were in the process of making the knee deep in the hoopla album um there was some interest in me possibly joining, joining up with uh, Chicago uh, when Peter Cetera had okay. left Chicago. And and I actually flew down to L.A. and met with the guys, and we talked about it. And, but I was right in the middle of making Knee Deep in the Hoopla, and I was so committed right. you know, to that song and to the, the reinvention of the Starship, the new Starship that we've just you know, been talking about. And so I had to politely decline at that point in time. Does the does the band at that time know you're uh, you're making that trip? Yes, they did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know what? I mean, 
had there not been anything happening at that point with uh, a new album under the moniker Starship, I think you would have been a great fit for Chicago. I think it would have worked. Yeah, maybe, so, maybe so. I don't know. You know, um, uh, you know, at that point in time, I just didn't think it was the right fit. And as I said, I was so committed to the to the Starship album. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I'd heard that, and I didn't. I didn't even know this at the time, but I heard that when Toto uh, was first getting together, that that I was their first choice before wow. they were before Bobby Kimball came along. Yeah. But they never really reached out to me. And that was right about the time that I was, um, well, I was still in the Elvin Bishop band when Toto formed. So, yeah. Yeah. These are cool. Bobby was, Bobby, Bobby was a good one, though. Yeah. I love hearing these <laughs> stories. So, after uh, Love Among the Cannibals, basically, then you make your living as a touring entity. You can go out. Yeah. On, you can go out with Starship uh, on a package tour or play what wherever you want to play when I'm, I, there's yeah. always people are always going to want to hear this music but finally in 2013 you finally get a new studio album out after what is that 14 15 years 14, loveless 14 Fasc years. Yeah, yeah loveless fascination a, a, another great album now i know that in 2013 the industry is different so the super yeah. fans really have to seek this out and find it but uh it's a great album and you know what did i ever do is a fantastic song one of the many on the album do have to kind of seek it out and i've been thinking you know this is the 2023 is the 10 year anniversary of the release of that album so yeah. we're toying with the idea of trying to do a, like a re-release of that and <clears throat> try to make a little bit of a, a splash somehow with that album because it really is a good album it's completely overlooked so yeah. um we might try to um you know uh re revisit that and maybe uh create a social media uh, event with it somehow I'm, I'm toying with that idea right now yeah it's a hard one to find too like if you if you still like physical media it's a difficult one to find but um yeah yeah, I, yeah it's hard to even uh stream it or anything yeah you know, you're right uh, you're right I'm, yeah i'm happy to have it 2021 greatest hits relaunched yeah explain to me the reasoning to do these re-records well um we re-recorded uh, now those songs that were on that. We actually re-recorded those. I think around two thousand two. Okay, wow. Is when I re-recorded them. Yeah, but then what happens is you do that, and then it's for a certain label, and then maybe years go by, and then that label 
sells the rights to another label and then they okay. want to repackage it and reissue it you know, with maybe some new artwork and as their own, you know. So some of the songs get kind of recycled, recycled, recirculated in different packages and different formats. And it doesn't really thrill me, but I don't really have a lot of control over that sometimes. And is the reason, because this is what I always assume the reason is when you re-record those classic hits, is that so that you can then, if someone wants to use one of those songs in a commercial or something, you would want them to use the new version because yeah, the, the money's better. Is that how it goes? Yeah, that's the idea. Okay. Uh, usually, though, people want to use the original recording more sure. often than not. You know, it, they always sound better. The original recording. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's and I'm glad you're saying that. I mean, it's always fun to and many bands have done it. Journey, Foreigner, Kiss, yes. Blondie. Everyone does it, but um, and sometimes you know, it's it's pretty good. But the original, there's always something just special the magic. about yeah the magic yeah. um unless you're taylor swift <laughs> then yeah she, she... well yeah but and taylor that's a different situation you know because she's she's so much younger and um and there's not maybe not quite as much time as elapsed from right no yeah all right mickey let me tell people once again out right now, a classic Christmas. It actually comes out yeah. December 1st. Get yep. it, put it in your Christmas playlist. You're gonna love it. It's gonna, it's gonna seem like you've been listening to these two versions your whole life. They're really that good. Go to starshipcontrol.com for everything about Mickey Thomas. Uh, I guess 2024 may be back out on the road with Starship. Definitely. Uh, we'll be on the road. We're hoping to do maybe, you know, 50, 60 shows in 2024. So we'll be out there all over so, the place, all over the map. So never going to retire, right, Mickey? You just keep doing this until you can't do it. I don't have any plans to retire, no. I mean, you know, I feel good. My voice is good. Uh, the energy's there. My body's been good to me. My voice has been good to me. I still love it. I love being on stage. Um, I love traveling. I'm always, I guess I'm just a gypsy at heart because I like to be on the move. Uh, so yeah, no end in sight. Good. Uh, good to hear. And now Mickey, the last question is always this one of all <laughs> the songs of your entire career, which song would you like me to use as the playout song for this episode? Oh, that's a good one. Um, of all the songs, does it have to be a big hit or? can be anything you want it could be some deep track that people might not be familiar with it can be anything wow how about healing waters from love among the cannibals you got it healing waters all right everybody have a merry christmas mickey my best to you and your family and please enjoy healing waters thanks mickey happy holidays happy holidays
I love it. The Christmas tree all ready to go. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, we've got, a, we've got two or three already up in the house. So I think after Thanksgiving, my wife likes to get ahead of the game. <laughs> I, I think after Thanksgiving, you're okay. Yeah, definitely. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 